Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast you, you would you do if you didn't have anything better to do. Yeah, I think. Okay. Before we start our topic this week, we have a couple updates. Yeah. A few updates. First of all, <laughs> last week, it's not funny. Murder isn't funny. Last week we talked about murders in Maine in 2016 and we didn't yet have the official numbers on how many there were and over the past more than a decade it's been pretty steady between 20 and 25 but surprisingly the numbers came out after we recorded but before our podcast dropped there were only 16 murders in Maine last year yeah and that's a low I don't have the stats in front of me but that's as low as it's been in a long time Mm, very that's like one day in Chicago isn't it Maybe an hour or two. <laughs> Sorry. No, I love Chicago. Yeah. It's I my like kind it of too. town. Except for the shootings and murders. Yeah. As we said last week, at some point we'll do a show about Maine's murders of 2016. Yeah, I'd like More to. extensively than last week's where we talked about a few specific yes, ones. Yes, I'd like to go through the list. It's interesting. It is interesting. We had a couple other updates. If you listened to the outtake minute or so at the end of last week's show. <laughs> that was Don Henley I was talking about, and I know who the fuck Don Henley is. I just couldn't think of his name. Well, when you get old, you just forget. Yeah. So. I was tired. It was the day after New Year's Eve, New Year's Not Day. Not that you did any. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you no. were out partying all night New Year's Eve. I was trying to find something to watch because Mom and Dad had gone out to eat with friends, so I had the house to myself for a change and the TV to myself, mm-hmm. and I spent... Almost an hour trying to find something to watch with my Google Chromecast and couldn't find anything uh, I felt like watching. I think bad. I read a book. Yeah, uh, it was very tiring. And I the, also I ate a big bowl of ice cream. Mm, ice cream. Yes. We also have a crime news update. Yes. It's a show we'll do in the near future, the Martha Moxley murder in Greenwich, Connecticut, October 30th, 1975. And Michael Skakel, who's a cousin of the Kennedy clan, had been arrested for it and then released on appeal and his conviction was upheld at the end of December I think December 30th so he's back in jail and he was not arrested until like the late 90s he wasn't arrested back in the 70s he was an adult is that correct Skakel was arrested in 2002 for the 1975 murder. Yeah, I'm just saying he wasn't arrested back then. We do plan (laughs) to do a show on it. I was almost thinking of doing it this week, but I want to read Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s book. He takes the New England, actually it's not just New England, the American, a couple black guys did it, theory, and runs with it. And I wanted to read his book before talking more about it. Yeah, okay. So at some point we'll talk about it. This is going to go on and on. He he would have been in jail from the time he was a teenager if he there hadn't been. He probably wouldn't have. He probably would have been out. He, if it's like, I mean, I don't know what it was like back. He then. may not have gotten a life sentence, is what you're saying. He probably would not have. Yeah, gotten he was a life 15. Sentence. He was 15. He probably would not in 1975 would not have been tried as an adult. No, he's not also in Connecticut. connected to the Kennedys. He's white, rich. His mother, his aunt his, is Ethel Kennedy, who who was Bobby Kennedy's wife. Yes, his father was Ethel Kennedy's brother. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more. But I did just want to say his conviction was overturned, and it's an interesting story. So today, Mo is going to be doing the topic. I am. Okay, and what, what we're going to talk about Maura Murray. Maura Murray, that's like all over the internet all the time. We will talk about that. Okay, 
and well, and it's going to be kind of about Maura Murray, but it's more of a theme, okay, that topic. You know how I get all off into the deep water on things. That's fine. And before I talk about Maura Murray, I'm actually going to talk about something else that may not seem connected. All but right. I guarantee you by the end, when we come around, hey, circle, I'm with you, whatever you I know want. you are. I appreciate it. We're going to talk about the Boston serial killer who kills young drunk men and dumps them in the water. Ah, who doesn't exist. Yeah, okay. There has been some recent internet action on a theory that there's a serial killer in Boston who kills young men. And dumps them in the water. Okay. This is based on the deaths of 11 young men, and one actually middle-aged, 11 men since 2004. So that's about, that's less than one a year, right? Yes. Okay. Who have... (laughs) Not that we're that good at math. Who have disappeared briefly and then been found dead in water. Now, for those listeners out there who aren't familiar with Boston, there's a lot of water. It's a harbor city. The Charles River goes through it. Some of it was actually built on water. And there's also a lot of bars. There are a lot of bars. And colleges. And drunk people. Yes, there are. And that... So I'll get to the whole thing with the bars and the drunk people. But the first thing I want to talk about is the power of the Internet. Okay. Everybody always loves a conspiracy Mm -hmm. theory. And I feel like serial killer theories and things are more of that. And Boston isn't the only area that has this theory. There's one in the Midwest. And there's one called the Smiley Face. That's the one in the Midwest. Mm Mm-hmm. That covers a few states, and according to a blog, Bloomhouse, she talks about how there are smiley faces near a lot of these young men yes. in the Midwest found in the water, so detectives determined there was a smiley face serial killer. And, of course, they have a photo of a smiley face that looks exactly like the ones that are on the mentalist. Now, I don't know on this blog if that photo is one of the smiley faces from these murders, or if they just took a smiley face, a graffiti smiley face off the internet, and it happened to be the one. You know how on The Mentalist the eyes are, were a little I don't slanted. even, I didn't watch The Mentalist that much. Okay. Except for I thought, what's his name is cute. So mm-hmm. it's Simon Baker is adorable. And the he Asian is, guy on it is cute too. Oh yeah, Cho. Yeah. I loved him. But the, Both of them. But they're I know two very handsome men. The woman, what's her name, was too skinny, though. She, no, I wanted to, I don't she care looked like she was going to break in half. But in any case, his wife on The Mentalist, Simon Baker. Oh, that's right. She was killed. Patrick and he was, Chain, yes, okay. By a serial killer who left a smiley oh, face. Oh, that's right. That looked exactly like the one in the photo okay. on this blog. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility that some joker was going around after people were killed and painting smiley faces. Or people, now it's a thing that people are talking about. So people are like, when they're going to do graffiti, it's like, ooh, I think I'll just be smiley face. Right, and I don't know if that's the smiley face one. In Boston, most of the incidents are drunk young men in bars on nights that were too cold, wandering off, and mm-hmm. then being found in water. A couple of them weren't. I won't go into the, the details of all of them, but to me that doesn't say there's a serial killer. No. To me that says you have a big city and things, shit happens. Well, we live in the Portland, Maine area. We live in, we both live in South Portland now. And there have been at least, in the last couple of years, at least three that I can think of. Ooh, so there's a serial killer in Portland, yes. too, of um, young men. Young men. Drunk young men. Yeah, drunk young men that have been missing and... They, they were missing after up. they get, not before they got drunk. 
Yes, while they were drunk, and then, and then they, they disappeared, right? In the old port, there are many places where you can just slip off. There's not like fences all right. around the wall. And, and I want There's to piers. You walk down the pier and fall off it. And I want to point out the Boston one in particular because a friend of mine was telling me about it and saying, "Oh, you have to read about this." And Cryptid Antiquarian lists the young men who died and details about them, and it also points to similarities including, it says, the proximities of these establishments is incredible, which is a poorly written sentence, but... Are they talking about the bars? Of the bars in Can't they just say the bars are always all close together? I don't want to get into okay, parsing the sorry. grammar of cryptid antiquarian, and I'm not picking on him, but I'm this sorry. is... Or her, but this is, this is the site that people are pointed to to talk about the spots and serial right. killer, and just indulge me for a minute. I'm indulging. I don't... I... If anyone's ever been to Boston, there are a lot of bars... And the proximity is close because Boston is a tiny city. You can walk from Boston yes. College on one side to the north end on the other side in a very short time yeah, and not even get small. tired. It's, you can walk all over it's Boston. A, it's just a few yes. miles. So everything's close. Yeah. Cambridge, where MIT. And Everything is close. A lot of the people who have disappeared are from out of town. Yeah. And they're gonna. they're not going to be going to the to the little local bar on the corner in Brighton or whatever. They're going to mm. be going to the Bell in Hand, yeah. Mary Ann's, which is by BC, the big bar all the kids at BC and everything go to. They're going to be going to these bars. Three of the people, three of the men who disappeared were all from North Carolina. Not disappeared, but fell in the water and died drinking. A couple of them were sailors. I think that people from the South sometimes underestimate winter or even spring in New England, and hypothermia can... Yeah. And when you're drunk, you don't realize. I mean, it you know. makes It actually hastens hypothermia. And But it also, you don't feel the cold as much. Right. You and know you I mean? get... And you can get disoriented very quickly. Yeah. And one of them, it was, there was a blizzard, and he <laughs> fell in the water. But the serial killer was out during the blizzard. Y- yes, he was. Because that's, that's when you're going to find a drunk time. young man wandering aimlessly. Even the, the other website points out that the Midwestern one... You know, a lot of it happened in college towns. And what do you find in college towns? Young, drunk men. Yes. Yes. Scads and scads. That's why I hang out at college towns as much as I can. So I'm bringing that up for a reason, because I'm going to circle around, although you can kind of get what the reason. You're going to circle back. Yeah, circle back. I hate shit like that. Yeah. Let's circle back to this later. circle back. There is a point to this. All right. So keep that all in mind. I've indulged you. File it away, listeners, in your memory banks for a few minutes or a little while while we talk about Maura Murray. On February 9th, 2004, Maura Murray, a 22-year-old nursing student at UMass Amherst, which is in the western part of Massachusetts, emailed her professors and work supervisor that she had a death in the family and wouldn't be in class for a few days. Murray, who ran track in high school and had briefly gone to West Point before transferring to UMass, printed out an email to her boyfriend, which reportedly referenced the time he had cheated on her, <clears throat> left it on top of some boxes in her apartment that contained most of her belongings, which apparently had been packed the previous night or that day. This was in the afternoon, about 3 in the afternoon on a Monday. She called a condo rental service in Bartlett, New Hampshire, and Stowe, Vermont. And where, can you tell me where Bartlett, New Hampshire is? In conjunction with Amherst, or in it's north. relation, I mean, to Amherst. Okay. If you drove north... On U.S. 91. Okay. You know, Amherst is in the western part of yes. Massachusetts. If you drove north, you would come to the south 
western corner of New Hampshire, yes. Vermont. It's right yes. across the Connecticut yes. River. 91 kind of goes up there. Yes. Okay. And if you kept going, you'd go up about two-thirds of New Hampshire and then kind of go right a little. You know, New Hampshire gets skinnier yes. and skinnier. And Bartlett is okay. It's a nice area in the mountains. to know where it was and what. Her family had vacationed there as oh, a kid. Okay. Okay. They used to go there every year. They rented a condo, and she was very familiar. She used to go hiking with her dad. She had a few sisters. Do they have ski stuff there? Possibly. Okay. I don't know. I'm just curious. It's in the mountains. And what, this was in February. Okay. And she had also called a place in Stowe, Vermont, which is a ski ski resort area. She didn't make accommodations to stay anywhere. She called. It was a recording service. And you have to remember, this was 2004. People weren't just jumping online to make reservations Mm -hmm. of places or anything. They called. She got in her car, stopped in an ATM, and withdrew $280 and drove north. This was around 3.30 on Monday afternoon. At about 7 that night, a homeowner on Route 112 in Woodsville, New Hampshire, 144 miles from Murray's dorm room, heard a thump. She looked out of her window and saw that a car had slid into a snowbank on the road. If you haven't been on a country road in northern New England in the dead of winter, it's cold, it's dark, it's remote. There are no light. no light. This was snowy. There were snowbanks on both sides. I was going to say snowbanks on both sides. There isn't really there. And, uh, and woods, woods, woods. I mean, you think of New Hampshire it's like not shoulders of the road. It's like the road. Right. Yeah. And you think of New Hampshire as being a small state in Vermont, as being mm-hmm. small. Maine as being small, but there's a lot of wilderness. Yes. It's, it's not populated. And yes. The, the snow was deep. It, you know, the snow was fairly deep. Yeah. The homeowner called the sheriff's department. This is the per- woman who heard the, the accident shortly before 7.30 when she saw the car was still there after a few minutes. A man driving past who was on his way home from work also saw the car as well as a young driver, a young woman, standing beside it. He offered to call for help, but she said she'd already called AAA. When he got to his nearby home just a few minutes later, he called the sheriff's department this was at 743. He thought it was odd that she said she had called AAA because cell service in the area, like many areas in northern New England, is spotty at best. And this, again, was 2004 when there were fewer cell towers, yeah. fewer cell phones. Especially up there. So he called the sheriff's department at 743. The other woman had just called, too, the, the homeowner who saw the accident or saw the aftermath of it. A sheriff's deputy was on the scene by 746. By then, the driver, Please. presumed to bring Murray, was gone though her crashed car was still there, and she hasn't been seen since. Wow. Shortly after 8, another man returning home from work saw a young person hurrying on foot up the road about four miles north of the crash scene. It may or may not have been Murray. To me, if it was four miles north of the crash scene and it was less than half an hour after the other guy saw her, it's tough to move four miles on that terrain. See, she may have, but that wouldn't make sense. But she may have accepted a ride from somebody and then got. For there some are reason. there are questions that won't yeah. be answered. She had a black backpack, presumed to have had a black backpack because she owned one that she used a lot and it has never been found. She was wearing jeans. They believe she had the black backpack with her when she black left her car. The deputy and the man who'd called in the accident drove up and down the road looking for her, but there was no sign of her. The man, by the way, who talked to her and she said she called AAA didn't feel she was impaired in any way, or drunk. This comes into play because in her car they found red spills that were determined to be wine. There was a box of wine, the old boxed wine. She could not have been acting drunk, but... 
Yeah, you can have a buzz on and get into an accident, and she may have been disoriented. The next day, the sheriff's department issued a be-on-the-lookout alert for her. Also that afternoon, they called her father, Fred, who lived in Weymouth, Massachusetts, which is near Boston, so Mm -hmm. it's on the other end of Massachusetts, and left a message. He was working out of state and didn't get the call, but another daughter, Maura's older sister, Kathleen, reached him later in the day when she found out that Maura was missing that her car had been abandoned on the road so her father went to new hampshire the next morning and he and the new hampshire fish and game department began to look for her they used police tracking dogs which followed her scent on the snowy road for about 100 yards but then lost it and that led police at least initially to believe she had been picked up by another car her father has since said that they used a glove in her car for the dogs to sniff and it was a new glove that she didn't use, that she had just gotten, so it may not have had her scent on it. I don't know how those things work, so I'm but not going to... those gonna... dogs can smell like a million times better. I, I know, but neither of us know enough about and it. And we met one of them, and she was we so did. cute. We did. She was cute. Her boyfriend, Murray's boyfriend, lived in Oklahoma. Um, he was at Fort Sill. He had graduated from West Point, and he had come back when he found out she was missing. So he arrived on the scene. He flew back from Oklahoma. Wow. Was interrogated by police, but they police had pretty much come to the conclusion within a day or two of her missing that there hadn't been foul play, but she'd either committed suicide or intended to or intended to run away, which her family to this day doesn't believe, and we can talk about that in a few minutes. Police said they believed she was drunk or otherwise impaired, but again, the man who talked to her didn't feel she was impaired. He wasn't an expert, but he talked to her briefly. But police did send out an alert that she was endangered and possibly suicidal. Her family has always believed she was the victim of foul play, and her father has been particularly vociferous, including in 2005 he sued the New Hampshire State Police for Hmm. information, to release information on her investigation, hoping to kind of push them, but he hasn't been very successful at that, and he also has turned off a lot of the Internet people who are quote-unquote helping find her with their Internet investigation. There are a number of things that at first seem odd or suspicious about Murray and her disappearance. A few months before, she'd been convicted of using someone else's credit card to buy takeout food and was sentenced to probation. And that's how it's usually written. I don't know all the details of that, but she used a credit card that wasn't hers for a small purchase, food purchase, and was sentenced to probation. And, like, if she was convicted, it was probably a plea agreement. I'm sure, yeah. So, And a few days before she disappeared, she'd had a phone call at work that upset her so much, her supervisor said, that he had to accompany her home. She was a security guard. It turned out the call was from a sister who said it had been about the sister's relationship problems and shouldn't have been upsetting to Maura. Maybe she just wanted to leave early. The weekend before her disappearance, her father had visited her in Amherst so they could shop for a new car for her. She borrowed his car that Saturday night that he was visiting her. He was staying at a motel to go to a party, and on her way back to his motel, around 2.30 in the morning, crashed into a guardrail, causing a significant amount of damage. And this was the Saturday before she disappeared, so two days before she disappeared. At the crash scene of her crash in New Hampshire, not the father's car, a rag was found stuffed in the exhaust of her car. Her father had withdrawn $4,000 from a number of ATMs over the weekend when he had stayed with her. Her boyfriend had turned his phone off on his flight east, and when he turned it back on, there was a voicemail that he said sounded like Maura sobbing. This would have been left after she disappeared because he was coming back east because she had disappeared. Uh. Items in her car included spilled wine, a box of wine, 
a book called Not Without Peril about deaths in New Hampshire's White Mountains. Hmm. As I said earlier, the black backpack she had with her at the time she disappeared has never been recovered, nor is her cell phone, which hasn't been used since that night. There had been no death in her family, as she told her professors and supervisor, and she hadn't told anyone in her family she was taking a trip or going anywhere. Her father, however, said she seemed fine before she disappeared, and he and she had discussed insurance arrangements for getting his car repaired. His insurance covered it, and she said she'd get a copy of the accident report. And some of the papers having to do with that were found in her um, dorm room as well. The search eventually involved law enforcement officials and even the FBI, and it went on for months, but no sign of her was ever found. Now, those odd things, and I'm going to talk about them a a little more in a few minutes, have also been used over and over on the Internet to show that this was more than what some may think it was there was more to her disappearance a month after murray disappeared brianna maitland 17 left her job at the black lantern in montgomery vermont which is about 90 miles west of where mora disappeared in woodsville new hampshire and brianna disappeared too hmm. this was about 11:30 at night on a friday night her car was found the next day backed into the side of an abandoned barn about a mile from where she worked and it had been backed in with enough force it had punched a hole in the side of the barn and there was some wood on the car. The cop who found the car the next morning, he assumed it was abandoned. Despite the fact two of her paychecks uncashed were on the front seat, he had it towed. Also despite the fact that in the car were some clothing, makeup, medicine, her contact lenses, some of her belongings were strewn on the ground in front of the car. And this car was registered to her mom, Kelly, by the way. Why would you... Ass- why would he... I wouldn't assume that, so I can't speak to why this this cop did assume that. He was with the sheriff's department, I believe. Police came to believe the accident had been staged. They later came to believe that, but they didn't believe it then. He believed it was an abandoned car. My guess is he wasn't the smartest cop in Vermont. Or the most hard-working, or I don't know Who knows? what word you want to use. Right, he didn't want to fill out the... I don't know. But he did go to the Black Lantern because she had those uncashed paychecks in the car. And he wanted a drink. To find, out, <laughs> to find out if her co-workers had seen her since she wasn't scheduled to work. They said, no, we saw her last night or whenever. We haven't seen her since. He didn't call her mother, who the car was registered to, about the car. It got towed away. Okay. Brianna had left a note for her roommate earlier that Friday. She'd moved out of her parents' home earlier that year or the year before because she wanted more independence, but she had a good relationship with her parents. But she was 17. She was, was she 17. in high school? Yeah, she was in oh, high okay. school. Actually, she had dropped out of high school. Oh, okay. okay. She left a note for her roommate earlier that day saying she'd see her that night. Mm-hmm. She'd also told co-workers who wanted to, her to go out with them after work that she couldn't wait to get home and get some rest. She was tired, but she wasn't determined to be missing for days. Her roommate had been away for the weekend, and when she saw the note Monday, she assumed Brianna was staying with friends. The roommate finally called Brianna's mother, Kelly, several days after Brianna was last seen to find out where she was because she started getting nervous. She hadn't seen mm-hmm. her. Kelly hadn't been told that the car, which was registered to her, as I said, had been found and was presumed abandoned, but Kelly also started calling her daughter's friends, trying to find her daughter. On Thursday, this was six days after Brianna disappeared, her mother and father went to the Vermont State Police to file photos, and I think they had previously that week made a missing person report, but Mm -hmm. they went to give them photos. Someone at the department put two and two together and showed the parents a photo of the car that was rammed into the side of the building, and Kelly, who hadn't been yet told that this car of hers had been towed away, that was registered to her. Yeah, see, now, okay, I don't, I'm not a cop. 
obviously. You just play one on TV. Uh, well, I just I I just insult them on the on the. It seems logical to me that if you find a car, the registration's in the glove compartment. You call. You them. would call the person. Say, look, your car is here. It shouldn't be here. I'm towing it. Right. Even if you didn't think it was. I mean, if there was foul play. But the girl's clothes were strewn around. I know. It was know. just weird. But even even if you don't think there's foul play, right. the, you're usually notified. I've had my car towed a few times. Yeah. Anyway. So in any case, she recognized the car as her. She hadn't yet been told, as we just emphasized. Yeah. It was a shock to her. And there were also some odd things leading up to Brianna's disappearance, just like with Mora's. She'd been attacked at a party a few weeks before and was badly hurt with a concussion and a broken nose, some cuts on her face, and she was treated for them at the hospital. Witnesses to the attack said even though she had several years of martial arts training, she didn't try to defend herself. It was an attack by another girl. The reasons for the attack were not clear. She filed a criminal complaint against the young woman, who I think was around the same age who attacked her, which was still pending when she disappeared, but it was dropped by the DA's office after she disappeared, much to Brianna's parents' dismay. On the day she disappeared, she and her mother were out shopping, when she saw something outside of the store that she and her mother were in and abruptly left and told her mother she'd be right back. She looked disturbed and upset. When her mother met her in the parking lot, the mother said later that Brianna was, quote, shaken and agitated, unquote, but Brianna didn't tell her what was wrong and mom didn't want to pry, so she didn't ask her, and that was the last time they ever talked. Aw. So, because Brianna disappeared later that night. Hmm. Vermont State Police at first said they didn't believe foul play was involved, but changed their minds about a month later after they did a thorough investigation of the car. Yeah. So this was in 2004. In 2012, they they revealed that they'd found DNA samples in the car, though the nature of those samples aren't clear. It was a fairly old car, and I'm still not sure what exactly they found. Brianna has not been found, like Maura Murray, hmm. and nor has her body. The Charlie Project, with which tracks missing people across the nation, and I'm quoting from then now, Okay. said the FBI met with local authorities to discuss possible links between the cases. Both Murray and Brianna are attractive brown-haired young women and both disappeared after car accidents in which their cars were left behind with personal items inside. However, the FBI and local law enforcement concluded that, despite the apparent similarities, Murray and Brianna's cases were probably not connected to each other. The theory is not being entirely ruled out, but investigators believe it is an unlikely one. There is a possibility that Brianna left of her own accord. She mentioned to friends Hmm. her plans for possibly taking a short trip out of the area. She is described as an independent, restless young woman who was unhappy in her rural surroundings, and she has run away before. Brianna passed her GED examination on the day of her disappearance. She planned to attend college part-time. Authorities believe she was a victim of foul play, and her disappearance is possibly drug-related. Drugs are very common, and this again is the Charlie Project, in the Montgomery area. Brianna's parents, as they are everywhere in northern New England, Brianna's parents also think she came to harm, but they maintain their daughter was not seriously involved with drugs, and drugs were not a factor in her disappearance. So back to Mora. Okay. Her disappearance has become quite a thing, and a lot of the people on the Internet who discuss her disappearance... Frequently also talk about Brianna Maitland, and there's a lot of conclusions being drawn that those two are connected, even though police later determined that they're pretty sure Brianna's quote-unquote car crash was staged. It just looks staged to them. 
There was hardly any damage to the car. The barn was paper thin and old. I think it was uh, difficult for the car to get off the road to where the barn was. It was just weird. Yeah, well, backed into it. and yeah, yeah. A lot of the things that are still on the Internet pointed to with the Maura Murray disappearance as being odd or weird are easily explained. For instance, her father withdrawing the $4,000 from various ATMs as though he had anything to do with it. He was going to help her buy a car. He, he wanted to buy it with cash, and you can only withdraw a certain amount from yes, ATM. Yes, at a time. Yes, especially on a weekend. I right. mean, the bank's not open. On a yeah. weekend. And the reason he went there for the weekend, her car was falling apart, so he was going to help her buy a new one. They went car shopping, but they didn't settle on one. Maybe they couldn't find one as cheap as they yeah. wanted to buy. I'm not sure. Yeah. The rag in the exhaust of her car, as a matter of fact, was her car was having some issue. I'm not really sure. It was an old old Saturn, and he told her to do that, although it seems to me it wouldn't work that great to help the car run better. Okay. I don't know. It could have been a carburetor prop. I don't know, I don't know enough, enough about, about cars. cars yeah. But in any case, it was explained. Okay. And it, that is another thing that's still used. Oh, there was a rag in her yeah, exhaust. Okay. You know, like the voicemail that her boyfriend had on the phone of her sobbing was actually the Red Cross trying to reach him, and it was just a bad connection, and it wasn't sobbing at all. Yeah, because I was going to say, that voicemail, like, did it come from her phone? Well, it was, this was, again, in 2004. Like a known caller or something. Right, so it was hard to, things weren't the way they are today. Another thing, the email to the professors and her work supervisor saying there was a death in the family when there was no death in the family is also pointed to as... Very odd. To me, I've known a lot of people, especially that age, and that's the one thing you can tell them at school or at work. That you can leave you, suddenly. Where you can leave suddenly and people don't question you. We used to joke about it. I can't remember you know, a place I worked years ago. You know, oh, that's the third time his grandfather's yes. died. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. So I don't know why everybody thinks that's so odd. She was 22 years old. She, it seems reasonable to me that if she, for some reason, wanted to just get away she was stressed or something i think i'll go up to bartlett for a few days been there before it's a nice you know it's a nice relaxing place whatever right in fact her father has pointed out many many times he thinks she was on her way to bartlett 112 will get you to bartlett that she was very familiar with the area that it was a place that she had many fond feelings about they went as a family every year to you know to camp and that sort of thing and i i agree i think she was under a tremendous amount of stress her boyfriend was in oklahoma she was a nursing student which isn't easy she may or may not have been drinking i also heard and i haven't heard a lot about more i have i've stayed away from most of the things about her i know there's a lot of stuff about her on the internet and but i think one of the things I heard that she was having an affair with somebody or that she was maybe she and her boyfriend had a uh, her boyfriend cheated on her yeah she I think she slept with people too so I don't she know may maybe have. they she had a 22 year old college I'm student. not saying an open relationship but um that's one of the things people talk about I don't know if it's relevant to anything I don't I don't know that it is because here's what I look at it, and this is where this other stuff I talked about comes into play she was in a stressful situation just being a nursing student. Yeah. She had had some things that would probably cause her more stress. She wrecked her dad's car. Her boyfriend was in Oklahoma. 
she was probably worried about whatever he was up to, whether he was up to anything or not. She may have had unhappy relationships there in Amherst. That credit card thing from a few months before, some people hold it up as this big thing. Other people dismiss it. Oh, she was given probation. I would think if you're 22 years old, especially if you're looking to graduating from college and getting a job, even though the internet wasn't as big, you would be concerned about yeah. that. Or you would just feel like, she. I mean, here's a girl who was a track star in high school who went to West Point. She left West Point, I'm not sure why, and went to UMass instead. So that may have been just one more thing if she was feeling stressed out and down on herself that, oh, crap. Why did, it and now like the I'm type embarrassed. of thing you, yeah, I, who knows what the circumstances were, but whatever. I I'm think she impulsively it. wanted to get away and went up to New Hampshire. Yeah. And I can't explain why her belongings were packed, but maybe she was going to quit school and wanted to take a week to think about it. Who knows? Maybe, who knows? She And she was drinking in the car if there was wine spilled not beyond the realm of possibility and not that odd for someone her no. age. Or just someone who's stressed out. The thing is, her age, that's when mental health issues come to the fore. Sure. If she had some undiagnosed issue, she might have been freaking out about something. She takes off, she's drinking, self-medicating. Right, but let's just say even if she didn't have a mental health issue, let's say she was just stressed out, she was worried about her boyfriend or obsessing. School was rough. She had had some setbacks. She'd wrecked her dad's car to the tune of ten grand, and he wasn't a rich guy, and his insurance was going to cover it, but she was probably upset about that or embarrassed. The credit card thing. It can also be, if especially if you're tired and stressed out and you're driving on a dark winter country road, it can be very disorienting. And I think what happened is that she got into an accident it wasn't that serious her car wasn't drivable and she decided she just started walking she probably said i called AAA because she doesn't want them calling the cops because she's been drinking and she wrecked her dad's car coming back from a party that two days before yeah and I mean, she probably didn't want to piss her dad off she was embarrassed and, and she didn't want to talk to the cops and i don't believe until she's sober you know? And I have, no, I have no way of knowing what was going on in her head. I don't know if she was suicidal or not. But I can see not being suicidal, but just saying, I'm just going to start walking. Yeah. And maybe she hitchhiked and the wrong person picked her up. Or maybe she wandered into the woods. And I know they had cadaver dogs, but there was a lot of snow on the ground. There's a lot of woods. And it's very easy in northern New England to go into the woods and to not be found. You can fall down a crevasse. You can... Do all sorts of things can happen to you, and who knows how far she wandered? Who knows what direction she wandered in? And it's not like there's a lot of houses around. There's a lot of times they are looking and looking and looking for somebody, and then when the person's finally found, which I'm surprised she hasn't been found, but it's kind of an unpopulated area. But someone's body will be found years later, and right. well, not their body. I mean, their remains. The remains. And it turns out that they were searching right near them, and they just missed right. them. I mean, it's it can be very dense. I would think that in the winter time, I don't know much about the dogs. I know that they're very good at smelling, like I said, but it seems like if someone's frozen. Different things happen with the scents, and a good book about that is Death Dealer by Kate Flora, Ooh. where members of the main search and rescue went up to New Brunswick to help them find a woman who had been killed by her boyfriend and I'm not spoiling the book by saying that and it was very difficult for them to find her body and they eventually did but it wasn't in that remote or far away a place 
It was, it's just difficult. The wind currents, what's going on with the terrain, what's going on with the melting. Like when the snow melts, a lot of smells come out of the yeah. ground. So it's difficult for the dogs. Lots of things. But the, the big thing about Maura Murray and Brianna Maitland and the guys in Boston and mm. the smiley face guys is that you can take almost anything. Yes. And make a big deal about it. And the internet loves that. It can become a thing. And it's almost like a the snowball effect. And when you when you look at the real facts in the Maura Murray case, there's nothing really that's been learned in the past 12 years that wasn't known in a, a few months after she disappeared. You know, we talked about the JonBenet Ramsey documentaries and how that mm-hmm. A&E one a couple weeks ago kind of was rehashing things that have been discounted years and yes. years before. And looking at websites and other things about the Mormor, there's some very good comprehensive websites. There are some that are just bull. There's way too much about her for, for a case that doesn't have a lot of new interesting aspects on the Internet. But there are a lot of times when these quote-unquote mysterious things are brought up is uh, it's obviously something happened to her when they're explained. And I don't think a lot of her behavior, while it wasn't the way you'd want your 22-year-old daughter to behave or you'd want to behave when you were 22, it doesn't mean it's that unnatural or odd. Or that it shows that there's something nefarious going on. Right. I mean, if you took any given day... Uh, Like, say I disappear tonight on the way home. You you could look at my day and be like, oh, well, she did this. Why did she go to the store and buy cat litter? Oh, maybe it was to do, you know, who knows? And and so I guess I shouldn't have sent you those texts that said, I will kill you. (laughs) I'm watching you. Right. Boy, if somebody if somebody actually, if something happened to one of us and somebody read our texts, can you see that on like 48 hours? I think it, what, what's worse is if they do read, like, you know how now they go on your um, computer and read your Google searches? Oh, I know. Especially because I'm a mystery novelist. You well, should see the and things. Our, with our podcast now, some of the things they look up. It's like, yeah, that's right. Ooh, the podcast. She looked up. That's why we're looking up, up how this. to kill your sister with nobody. <laughs> you know, the thing about the Boston serial killer of the young man, it reminds me of that old thing we used to do when we were kids, the Lincoln and Johnson similarities. Oh, Lincoln had a secretary named Johnson, and Johnson yeah. had a secretary named Lincoln. You can do that with uh, almost You anything. can do it. Are the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? I don't think it's that odd, for instance, in Boston, that young men who have been drinking in bars and were either kicked out of the bar, went outside to have a cigarette, or went outside for whatever reason, drunkenly. Most of these were in cold weather. Ended up in the Charles River or Boston Harbor because it's all around you, and they're drunk and they don't have their coat on, and it's cold out. And there are other young men on that list of eleven. These eleven mysterious deaths over two thousand since two thousand and four. Yeah, bad shit happens to people, but it's separate bad shit. Just like Brianna Maitland and Maura Murray, despite the similarities, the A very superficial... killer that, what, throws someone in the water? And huh. one of the theories is, and this makes me laugh a little, because it would be a good book for somebody to write or a TV show, maybe a movie, but it just seems a little silly, is that it's a young woman damsel in distress thing luring them, because who else would lure these young men... For instance, one of the guys was a recent transplant to Boston. This may have been one of the North Carolina guys who had met on a leave in Boston. He had met a young woman 
and he ended up moving here to live with her. And he hadn't been living here for very long, and he went to a Bruins game at the Garden with a friend. He had a few beers at the Bruins game. I don't know how many. He decided he was tired from work and wanted to leave. His buddy stayed at the game. He went outside and texted or called his girlfriend and said, can you come pick me up? And she said, where are you? He said, 99 Nashua Street, which is around the block from Boston Garden. She was very close or around the block or whatever, and when she got there, he wasn't there. She drove around looking for him, couldn't find him, and he ended up being found dead in the water. And it's like, oh, what would have happened to this guy? Well, it was cold out. He was from away. Boston Garden, and I say Boston Garden, it's probably now TD North Garden. The TD new, Bank North. TD whatever, whatever they call it, the new building. But in any case, it's not in a dangerous part of Boston. No. But it's not in a nice leafy suburb either. No. It's urban. It's You're right by the, the north highway end. highway, and it's weird. There's a lot of people around, a lot going on. There's a lot of people who hang around during sports events at the garden there's you know there's pickpockets there's i mean it's not like you're in some really crime-ridden horrible place boston's not that dangerous a city but it is a city and you have to look out for people and people have a way of knowing who vulnerable people are and i'm not saying this kid's disappearance and death is easily explained and there's a couple others that are not easily explained because they weren't people who were necessarily putting themselves in harm's way, but shit happens to people. And I'm wondering how many young women, I mean, women don't tend to get drunk and wander off without their coats on and fall in the water as much as fellas. Like I've been places where, not as much now, but when I was younger, either concert or someplace where you see... I remember once I was at a concert with some friends. We were in the parking lot, and this super drunk young guy, super drunk, came up and was talking to us. And uh, we were we were okay with him, but then he stumbled off. He was looking for his car. He was looking for his friend, something. We just briefly said something like, you know, he's in trouble or he's, he's looking, wicked drunk. Right. Something bad is going to happen. happen. And I've been to, and you've been to, we've been to concerts in Boston, sporting events, mm-hmm. parties. You couldn't go down there without seeing really, really drunk college age or guys in their 20s. I told my friend who first turned me on to the Boston serial killer, I would need more evidence to ever think... That there was... It's, you're just taking something that's fairly common, and it's not like 11 guys in a month died that way. Or even a year. over a span. Of 12 years. And it is a common thing. I mean, like I said, I could think of... Three in Portland. Yeah, and Portland's a lot smaller city than Boston. And it doesn't have the Charles River going through it. It doesn't, but it is a peninsula, and there are many, many bars in a concentrated area. And the Atlantic Ocean. The Uber driver knows, and there's lots of drunk stumbling people. I mean, a lot of the bars are right on the wharf. And it's a cool thing. It was when we were younger, and it still is now, for it to be friggin' 10 degrees out or 10 below, and the guy is still going to go outside without his coat on yeah. or in shorts. Yep. And oh, oh, people look love at, to wear shorts in the winter. I know. What's look how cool I am. Well, hello, hypothermia. I know. Well, that's the thing. I was just thinking that when I was younger and when I used to go out drinking in bars, and nowadays you go outside to have a cigarette, you can't smoke in the bar. But I remember being at places where I had to 
I don't know why I was going outside, but it would be like six degrees out, and I didn't have my coat on, no. but I had to go outside for something, and you just go out, and you, you go don't feel. I mean, if you're really drunk, and one you of the things about it. and hypothermia can happen a lot faster than people think it can, and you become disoriented. Yeah, and you don't make good decisions. You don't know where you're going. You don't, and it's very easy. Like the big pier, the main state pier in Portland is just like a big. You could walk right off the end. It looks like a big. It's paved or something, and you just walk in. It's just got a couple of those things that stick up. I don't know what you call right. them. They're not pilings, but that type of thing. They're just like logs like sticking up. Yeah, or logs. Or whatever. And and I think they are pilings. But you, you just like walk pilings. right up. I mean, any of those So works. you get kind of what my point is that yeah it's not uh, to me it's nothing like i said if it was 11 in a month you'd be like okay right. something's going on and that's on. my point about Maura Murray and one of the it's reasons i was going to do the topic on Maura Murray is the anniversary of her disappearance is coming up and her name just keeps constantly coming up if you google missing yes which missing we did. woman <laughs> New Hampshire, or missing woman, or yes, missing woman, New England. She comes up more than anyone she else. She comes up more than anyone else because this whole internet phenomena has been built up. There's a podcast about her disappearance. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of blogs about it. There are books about it, and I think it's the mysterious circumstances surrounding her disappearance. But it's the type of thing that it's not necessarily mysterious, but one person's like, wow, have you noticed this? And then, oh my goodness. And then it kind of just builds on itself. It becomes, it becomes kind of, thing. whatever today's. But remember how we were talking earlier? Yes. And you brought up Pamela Webb? Yes, except I thought it was um, more recent. Oh, well, I might have been confusing her with someone else. But one of the things, one of the points you were, and you kind of wonder as far as Brianna Maitland goes, it, who also has weird circumstances well, that aren't that weird, one of the big factors in her disappearance is how misread and mishandled it was by the unobservant yes, cops yes. at the beginning. So this and that was, reminded that, me of Pamela yes, Webb. Yes, because Pamela Webb, let me read what I found about her, but I remembered this well. On July 2nd, 1989, Pamela Webb's 1981 Chevrolet pickup truck was found abandoned on the main turnpike, mile 30. Point four southbound in Biddeford. The passenger side rear tire was flat. A spare tire was leaning against the tailgate. There were blood stains on the pavement on the passenger side of the truck and earrings near one of the blood stains. Webb's dog was in the front of the truck. A turnpike ticket was found inside the truck indicating Webb entered the turnpike in Augusta at 21.52 hours. Which is 9.52. Yes, on July 1st, 1989. She was headed to Mason, New Hampshire to visit her boyfriend. The boyfriend reported Webb missing at the 10 o'clock, the 2nd. 75 to 100 people called the state police to report seeing Webb's truck broken down, but no one was able to provide descriptions of vehicles or persons near the truck. On July 18, 1989, human remains were found in Franconia, New Hampshire, which were subsequently identified as Webb's. The body was severely decomposed with only a small patch of soft tissue left on the skull. That didn't take too long. I was but just, it's in the woods, hot. animals too. It's in the, it's hot. Little it's, ant creatures. You can. She was identified through dental records. No bones below the pelvis were found with the remains, which doesn't Critter. mean critters. It could be, but it could be that she was cut right. in half. Who knows? A skirt, blouse, and bra were recovered with the remains. No. And the reason I remember this is because we we're talking about the cops. The reason I was thinking it was her is because her dog was in the truck. Right, and we have been talking about how the paychecks and Brianna Maitland's car should have I think the reason her truck was there for a while was because a cop had stopped and put they used to put these orange fluorescent 
stickers if on a it. cop had stopped. Yeah, if a cop had checked something out. So I think probably so another cop will know, okay, someone's checked that out, uh, that car is sitting there. And I know they eventually get towed or whatever, but I think we'll have to ask a cop. We should have a cop on sometime yeah. anyway. He didn't take her dog out of the car, the cop. The, I think it was the second one that stopped her. And this was July. I know, I'm surprised Even she was Maine, okay. But I still think I'm getting it mixed up with somebody else, but I could be wrong. Because it seems like the cop got in trouble because he didn't really check it very much, very, as well as he should have. Um, it just seems that there's a lot of red flags there. Yes. The blood. So what happened, what they speculated happened, I remember at the time, because they were looking for her. And the reason I remember this now is coming back. I was with my boyfriend at the time driving down a highway, and there was something going on on the side of the road with a car, and people were standing there or something, and I said something about it, and he's like, what car? And I said, no wonder no one noticed what happened to that woman that just Right. Although 75 to 100 people. They did call, and back then, that was 1989. So nobody had a cell phone. People did not have cell phones. Maybe some people had car phones, but not many. So a lot of people, when they got home or when they stopped, actually called about this truck, which is interesting interesting to me that that many people would have called but well you don't often see a car like with the flat tire leaned up against it and nobody there yes you usually see either someone working out or the cars or they're waiting for somebody to come help them or and so somebody apparently picked her up and did, did what something to her it. wasn't her boyfriend i don't and they've think never, they never and they, they never nope they've never saw they never it. determined what, and franconia new hampshire i mean i know she was going to mason new hampshire and that's in the rochester area so it's near the it's near southern it's Maine. it's not very she far was, yeah i mean but but franconia is up in northern yes. new hampshire it's so not, somebody took her there and Right. But that's not an uncommon thing that there's been uh, other times recently, and that's the reason I thought this was more recent, was there's been at least one other time where a car has been found and the person's missing. I mean, it happens a lot. There's bad people around that'll see a person, especially a woman, a car stopped, and they take advantage. take advantage of it, and that's why you should have AAA or something like that. Right. I remember once my car went off the road, and it was I was on my way to work. It was snowy. I worked about sixty miles away. Was this the time you were abducted and taken? I was abducted and killed. Now I'm a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually a ghost coming I back. That. No, I was actually abducted by aliens. Sorry. Which is probably what happened to Maura Murray. That's what I think. Uh, you know, especially I, in well, northern New Hampshire. My whole point was going to be, where is the alien aspect of this and why aren't people talking It's pretty talking obvious it was aliens. But aliens. anyways, what happened was I slid off the road. It was snowy. The guy pulled over and he said, do you want help? And this was just about that. This was probably about 2004, 2005. It was a long time ago. And I said, no. I called AAA because I did have a cell phone at the time. And the guy's like, what's your problem? Or he was all, he was very like hostile that right, I didn't want him to want help me. Help. Like I did, he wanted to give me a ride. And I'm like, no. I bet he did. And he seemed like a normal looking guy. But the no, way Ted he Bundy reacted. And I was wasn't like unpleasant I just said no. no thanks I'm waiting for triple and then right after that a cop stopped and the cop didn't even talk to me he just like parked his car in front of me and put his blue lights yeah, on that was nice of him yeah but he didn't even like see, I was being sarcastic it was weird but anyways just the way that guy reacted was really odd I know well you can't be too careful and you can't trust anybody you know people I think find comfort 
in conspiracy theories. Yes, they do. People find comfort in thinking a serial killer or something like that, or some other very weird thing happened to Maura Murray and Brianna Maitland, and there had been also along the Connecticut River Valley, and I'm surprised this didn't come up more with these two young women, there had been in the late 80s and even earlier talk of a serial killer along the Connecticut River Valley between New Hampshire and Vermont. A number of women were killed. There was a woman, Barbara Agnew, she was a nurse at Dartmouth-Hitchcock who was stabbed to death at a rest area that was just a short ways from her home. And why did she stop there? Well, you never know why people stop. P. And there were even some suspects. But I think the bigger thing is there probably, there aren't as many serial (laughs) killers out there as people think there are. As much as most of us really aren't in danger of coming to harm from a stranger, and we talked last week about you're more in danger, especially in Maine, of coming to, of being, being married to someone or? The fact is that there are bad people out there who do bad things to people well, or they, there are people possibly more murray made some bad decisions in bad weather these boys or young men in boston made some bad decisions some of them when a lot of people die or disappear under similar circumstances it doesn't mean that there's one bad guy out there doing it it means you have to watch out for those circumstances and maybe not do, and I'm not blaming the victim, but I am saying that, particularly with the disappearance of young women, I think of the podcast Missing and Murdered that focuses on the murder of Alberta Williams, who's a young indigenous woman in Canada. But on that podcast, they discuss the fact that there are thousands of unsolved disappearances and murders of Canada's indigenous women. They make up about 3% of the population, but a huge percent of the missing and murdered people in the country. And you know, there's not one guy out there killing thousands of... Well, it's just like in our country. It's the sex workers, it's the vulnerable people that aren't connected with their family anymore. Or the young woman or older woman who's in the... who's. I don't want to say the wrong place at the wrong time because that puts some of the blame on them, but who is in a vulnerable position, even like they're broken down by the side of the road. Or like an opportunity. A lot of these crimes are crimes of opportunity. Some scumbag is like, ooh. Right. Like the young woman in August in Massachusetts who was out running on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And disappeared and was, they found her body. She was murdered. She wasn't doing anything that all of us haven't done. I even have run in the past. It was Sunday afternoon in August in a bucolic, rural Massachusetts, small town. Oh, it can't happen here, small town. Well, if the wrong asshole happens to be driving by you the wrong time. And when you think about it, when you're out for a walk, I go walking, I don't go running, but you don't have much stuff on you. You're kind of like, not skimpily dressed, but you're not, you're, you don't have all your stuff with you. You don't have your purse, you don't have anything. You just like kind of the basics. I got shorts and a singlet on or whatever and you're vulnerable you are you're, you're, you might have earphones or something you're you're in a zone you're in a zone and you're not fully dressed not that i'm not saying that's how they dress but i'm just saying that makes you a little more vulnerable it does you're just out there by yourself that's what people who are looking for somebody Predators, like that are looking for they look for moments of opportunity yes, they do 
and they and may not drive around all day. a serial killer, right. but anybody, any guy, or if they see some nice-looking girl broken down on the side of the road, ooh, you know, I'm going to help her. Maybe I'll get lucky. And then they pick her up, and they try to get lucky, and it turns out into a rape, and then it turns into something else, and God only knows what happened. When you're talking about indigenous women or poor women or minority women. Women, there may not be as much effort. There's not enough effort. Maura Murray to is, look into is, who? A, is a pretty white she's cute with dimples yeah everyone's like oh it's so sad i mean and it is it is sad but it's all of them are sad but her father has also done a lot to kind of keep it in the forefront although he gets a lot of criticism or got a lot of criticism for it he wanted his daughter's disappearance solved and i don't blame him but on the other hand i don't think the families are always the best judge of whether somebody took off or not. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying she took off and she's living high off the hog no, somewhere. No, I think she's I think she's she dead wandered. Somewhere. She either got picked up by the wrong person. Yes. And a few cars went by. Between the time the guy talked to her and the time he got home and called the sheriff's department, he said he saw a couple cars go by. You know, it's not busy like the traffic you may hear going by our studio <laughs> here at Think Tank. It's in the course of 15 minutes, two or three cars yes. may go by. And she may have stepped off the road at a place where the snow banks weren't that high to get out of the way of traffic because there's really not a good place it to walk. It could be that she got hit and somebody she, put her body, you know, she accidentally got yeah. hit. And the guy said, oh, shit, I've been drinking and put her body and drove it up to the woods. It could have been anything. Even though she didn't do this, but I'm thinking with other people, like if you get in an accident, I read somewhere that it's not uncommon for somebody when they've been in an accident to like take off because they're freaked out that it's almost like they're a, disoriented which she didn't do obviously but, but she, she was i think she was really stressed out by uh, and i also think that the reason she didn't want want to hang around her car was because if the cop showed up and she had been drinking yep. that she would have gotten that's a lot you get in a lot of trouble that it would have been her second accident in 48 hours yeah you know we used to go out drinking after work back when I lived in New Hampshire, you know, newspaper thing. And on the drive home, it was about three in the morning, I hit a deer. And I was driving a little Honda Civic hatchback at the time. That was the 24 hours where I hit oh, three animals in 24 hours. God. But in any case, I hit Cereal a deer. Killer. And I was driving from Manchester to Gosstown on what's called Gosstown Back Road. And it's not remote, but it's dark. There isn't a lot of traffic at three in the morning. There are rural parts like what you'd call New England suburban. There's yeah. trees farm-ish, and woods and farmish. The deer had actually, there was a cemetery and it had jumped over the Aww. fence in the cemetery and kind of land on the front of my car and took off. And I got out of the car and decided I was going to wait. This was before cell phones. It was bef- It was in the late 80s sometime. And then I thought, I'm nuts to wait by the side of the road. Not because I was afraid the wrong person would come by. And this was, I was in my late 20s and... My bigger concern was I've been, you know, I got out of work at 11, 11.30, whenever, and I had been in a bar for a couple hours, and I'm like, holy shit. I'm and point eight. Or if whatever. I'm waiting for a cop to come by, I'm I'm a sitting duck, so I drove home. I actually hit a raccoon <laughs> um, as I got into Goffstown Village where I lived. It was under a streetlight. And it was, I thought it was just a... Uh, a dead animal. I just animal. thought it was a cat, so I ran it over. <laughs> no, yeah. I thought it was a dead animal, and then I realized as I approached it was licking its paw, Aww. but it was too late. And then the next day on the way to work, I hit a chicken. 
Jesus. It was the 24 hours of death. I know, because my car was still driving. So that was my topic for today, and it was kind of a wide-ranging. It was more of a philosophical discussion. Well, it's interesting, the the Internet, what it's done. It has. Every, any little, like you said, any little thing can become this big thing. And people start talking about it, and you go on Reddit or wherever, and it's just like, oh, well, this, and then I heard this, and and it's just like. And people take fiction is fact people there are things that are just pull stuff out of their ass and other other people just copy and and paste copy and paste and there are things that are discredited that people don't pick up on and keep repeating one of the things when I was a newspaper editor that used to bother me was when something that was either false or had been corrected was just constantly repeated, Ugh. not only in stories from the publication I might have been working for, but other publications would pick, it up. pick it up. So the same false information or misleading information or out-of-date information would get repeated and over and over because people are just going on the Internet and picking up the same information and not checking to see if it's if The been. Internet just makes things And that worse. happens. People read a blog and they... Take it as fact. And the fake news thing has been in the news a lot lately. There's always been fake news. There's always been fake news. Tabloids. People are willing to believe all sorts of I remember Weekly World News with the alien. I remember the alien. The photos. The (laughs) alien with the shaking Bill Clinton's hand because the alien was coming to Earth to help Bill Clinton, I don't know, find world peace or something. Well, they didn't do a very good job of it, did they? Well, I don't know if Bill listened to the alien. No, he he probably didn't. So that was this week's topic. Very interesting, and I'm going to be doing the next one. Don't spoil it. I won't spoil it. But you know what? It's time for now, and he's been waiting for a long time because we've been rambling on Matt Nichols. Ask a a lawyer with Matt Nichols from Come on over, Matt. And he's not going to talk about aliens. Okay. I wonder if he would defend an alien. He probably would. would if If the alien had some money. Yes. Oh, we shouldn't say it. The alien needs its constitutional yeah. rights. <laughs> and yes. here's Matt. We have um, Matt Nichols from Nichols and Churchill in Portland here with us. Today we're going to talk about the CSI effect. I think everybody by now knows what that is. But how have shows like CSI and other law and order, law and, order. and other procedural police and court procedural shows on TV change the way lawyers work? Has it changed the way they try cases? And has it changed the way juries behave? And the way they even select juries and that type of thing? I think the the biggest effect has been on jurors. And the CSI effect, in quotations, has been attributed to or ascribed to the behavior of jurors. That is, they want to see scientific evidence. And I'll include in the, in the CSI effect video because we have videos everywhere. When you see stuff on, on TV, they'll often show what doesn't even seem to be sometimes a, a really remarkable case, but they'll show a, a, a robbery of a 7-Eleven and they'll have the whole video. Right. It's very effective. It's been effective since uh, the beginning of time, which was not... Uh, I started practicing law and trying cases <laughs> shortly after, yeah. after that. But Way before video. Sure, there was a time when, when I started when the most high-tech thing we had in the courtroom was a flip chart. And we would have expert witnesses and lawyers draw things with our, our magic <laughs> markers, our, our great big uh, toxic sharpies, and hope, uh, hope that the court officers opened the windows 
to ventilate to ventilate the participants uh, to now uh, these uh, extremely elaborate PowerPoint presentations where you can do remarkable things to and they do, uh, like, cartoon type of things with. Well, some are not, yeah. Yeah. some are, and they have to pass the gatekeeper. Well, I was going to say that they might, have to that pass the be gatekeeper. pretty prejudicial, I think. Sure, that sure is... A cartoon person killing somebody. So, are, is what you're saying is that jurors have to be kept entertained? No, there's a, well, there's a gatekeeper, mm-hmm. and that's the person in the black robe who decides whether or not, so under our, uh, whether or not, but the gatekeeper on evidence is the judge, and the judge has to apply our uh, centuries-old rules of evidence uh, to decide which kind of, you know, claymation is generally frowned upon. <laughs> but computer models, for example, in the Noy Street Fire, yeah. that a uh, large part of that evidence was based on computer models, a sort of computer-generated reenactment of the progression of the fire in terms of heat, poisonous gases, flames, and things like that. So jurors do want to see scientific evidence, and prosecutors, initially, in my experience, prosecutors were the ones complaining about it the most, saying, you know, for God's sakes, what happened in the days when we could just have, you know, three honest witnesses get on the stand, hold up their right hand, take an oath, tell the truth, well, appear appear credible, wrong, so. well, appear credible yeah. and tell the truth. We're so cynical. Here. I know. Yeah, that's what, you know, we had centuries of trials were based on that. Now people will say, well, how can they convict that guy without any evidence? And I'll say, well, for a couple thousand years, you know, evidence has been people testifying. But now, now we want DNA. We want science. We want we want scientific answers. We want mathematical certainty. And I shouldn't say when I say we, it's a universal yeah, we. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it, it's funny because I remember I was still a reporter, and this is shows you how old Matt and I are the same age. About, yeah, old. When DNA first started being introduced as evidence, and there was a lot of skepticism about it, and. There was a trial in New Hampshire, and now I'm, of course, going to blank out on what it is that we covered at the newspaper I worked at, which was one of the first trials to introduce DNA evidence. It was a tough sell because people were skeptical of this hocus-pocus weird science. And now it seems like, boy, didn't the guy leave his DNA all over the place? If he didn't, how are we going to convict him? You know, so things have really changed in 20 years. And yet people, probably from watching TV a lot, will still say stuff like, well, it's a circumstantial case. But circumstantial evidence is still evidence. Circumstantial evidence is treated differently in different states. In the state of Maine, circumstantial evidence is given the same amount of weight as direct evidence. Mm -hmm. There's good direct evidence and bad. There's good circumstantial evidence and bad, but they're treated equally. But I think what you're what you're getting at is uh, for jurors, it's raised their expectations mm-hmm. of what they're going to. Watching TV has raised the expectations of what the prosecutor's got to yeah. show them to find somebody's guilty. Now the flip side of it is, there's a lot of junk science out there. Mm. There's a lot of fudging and a lot of dishonest. There's some outright dishonesty, but there's an awful lot of fudging. I guess if we were going on a continuum of veracity, we would say truthful testimony straight down the line. Then we would say there's advocacy. 
then we would say fudging, and then we would say outright lying. Yeah. Now, and do you find like they get expert witnesses? I'm thinking of things like blood spatter, hair evidence. Are you seeing a lot of junk science from like expert so-called witnesses? Junk science, twisting of science, fudging, and taking certain scientific data, I should say data, three years of Latin in high school. There's, there's a skewing of the evidence. There's also just plain junk science. And then again, there are assertions made by expert witnesses in certain cases that just don't pass the milk through the nose test to the person who understands what it is they're talking about. And jurors are... Uh, the most susceptible mm. victims to that because they don't, they sort of trust these people as expert witnesses to right. tell them the truth. Say, I, I think as a juror, you're sitting there, or you should be, saying each person I'm listening to is sworn to tell the truth, so I'm going to, at least this is how I would operate, I'm going to go from the supposition that they're telling me the truth. And then I think it's funny when they have expert witnesses on either side who, who have a opposite. completely different reading of the blood spatter or the person's psychiatric evaluation or... Well, remember that expert witnesses are de- are allowed to do something that lay witnesses, for the most part, are not allowed to do. We're all allowed to give opinions. If it's 98 degrees outside and humid, you're allowed to say, in my opinion, it was hot out. Yes. But uh, when we get to areas of specialized skill, training, and education, those areas, opinions in those areas are reserved for people who qualify as expert witnesses. So they are generally framing their responses in the context of, in my opinion, this is a good blood test or a reliable blood test. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is allowed to call an expert to say, in my opinion, based on X, Y, and Z, this is not a reliable blood test. And they, they do have to base it on something. Yes. They usually yes, can they back do. up their argument somehow, but then again, the, a lot of times the jury doesn't have the knowledge to know whether what, what they're using as basis for their opinion, right. whether that's valid or not. But That's part of the skill. That's where part of the skill of the attorney comes yeah, into play, yeah, because sure. if the attorney doesn't understand the, the substance of what the experts are talking about, then that attorney's side has no chance. Well, thanks, Matt. That's probably a topic we could discuss for hours and yes. hours. So maybe we'll revisit it sometime with a different, from a different angle. But thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. We'll see you next week. Okay. Hey, you know what we're going to talk about for today's recommendations? Okay. What? We're going to talk about cop shows from our younger days uh, that okay. we loved and why we love them. I made myself a note. And what influence? I made myself many notes. Wow, you do have a lot of notes well, there. Well, I was thinking, I kept thinking about those, and I came up with so many, and I was like, was that all I, I watched? I did too. I mean, we did, we watch, did watch a lot of TV. We watched a lot of and TV. And it's funny when you only get in three channels. I know, and we watched TV constantly. I think cop shows had a big influence on us, more than, say, the Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> did. Yeah. Or any other shows we made, the Partridge Family the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. We did watch If we're talking about a certain era. But yes, cop shows. I think of the 70s. and the I do. 60s, late 60s. I will say, too, that as a mystery writer, that's where the kind of germination of my mystery writing first started, if you want to say germination. Is that a thing, germination? You're the editor. 
Yeah, that's true. And writer. I would go to bed at night and kind of rewrite the show. And I'd write myself into it, of course. Oh, yeah. But some of the characters, I think the, the police chief character in my books had his... Is he like chief on the mod <laughs> No, yeah, like... Tyg. Tyg Andrews. Adam Greer. Actually, I think there's a lot of Pete from the Mod oh, Squad. Oh, Because... He's dreamy. He was dreamy. Link was my favorite, though. Link well, was always Well, let me talk favorite. about the Mod Squad for a minute, then. Okay. Because there are shows, especially later, as I became a teenager and then a young adult, that I thought were great, that had a lot of influence on TV and how cop shows developed and a lot of influence on the way I looked at storytelling and that type of thing. Police Story which Joseph Wamba was a producer yes. of and I went through a huge Joseph Wamba phase. I loved Joseph Wamba too. When I was a teenager I was and a I read teenager, all his books. In late teens even early 20s I read a lot of his and, books too. And if you're not familiar with who he is check out his books because they're The, the Onion, Onion Field. Field. The Secrets of Harry Bright was one that... Yes. He wrote lots of cop books. And I used to like him. I don't like cop books as much as I used I, to. I don't either. I used to love... I get tired. He's a wonderful writer. I get tired regardless of, of, of what the subject So matter. that one, Hill Street Blues, which yes. I watched a little of recently and found very dated. It's very dated. And so is Police Stories. In the Mod Squad would be dated too. It is, but I can but, still watch it. First of all, I hadn't seen it for years and years and years. And this was before streaming. And I found... Um, because I just had this craving for it. And I, I was in love with that show. In love with oh, it. Yeah. It was on from 1968 to 73, mm. from when I was 7 to when I was 12. Yeah. But then they also had reruns they reran in, the it afternoons. A lot yeah. in the afternoons. I found, and this was way back, I mean not way back, but maybe about 10 years ago. It's amazing how much stuff has changed with video in 10 I years. Know. I found a pirated DVD collection. I can't remember where I found it, if it was on eBay or somewhere, of all five seasons. Mm. And I put that first disc in and heard that theme music. And let's stop. I'm going to play it some of the theme music now. music it just made my heart sing and the whole <laughs> scene where they're running grab uh, julie and, uh, drag, her and drag her and along. drag her and they're saving her well and that's she one does. issue yes and it's one of the dated 60s, things but, but one know. of the cool things about the show speaking of link who's the black guy solid yes. and if you're our age or older you remember there was a time when there were hardly any black people yeah on tv but there was room 222 with you Ju- and julia and Julia and Room 222, I loved to that. And I have uh, the DVDs of that, and I watch and rewatch. But them. when you watch the Mod Squad, Link is the leader of that yes, group. He He's is. the cool-headed he one. Is. You know, it's always like Pete's very emotional, and he'll go after people. And Link's always like, Pete, you're going to kill and him. And, Pete, and Link and Julie have a strong bond. And that's another cool thing. And they're friends. That they were very good friends. The three of them were very good friends. But not romantic. But, never but there romantic. was never any, and it wasn't one of these trite things where they have to get her together with one of the guys. And no. It being the times it was, it would have been... No, and it was Aaron Spelling produced, surprisingly. In the first season, 
and I know this because I've watched it. And then the over DVDs over started again. officially coming out. And I've been out. watching it on YouTube too. And those DVDs started coming out. And the first yeah. two seasons came out, and then there was this big lag. And I and this is going to sound weird. The third season is my favorite season, and mm-hmm. I'm going to either have to buy the DVDs or. Do they have them? Yes, no? I just saw oh, okay. on on the internet they do. Oh, on the internet they the do. Internet. The first season it was one of the first shows and it was the one with the crazy bus and their lives were in danger because it was a very formulaic show yes. and there was always a chase with pete and link running yes. after people and getting or in a big fight, fight. Or, yeah 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 aside from julie, julie always getting abducted and they were on the stack the three of them came together after getting out of the danger and pete gave the two of them a big hug and Link's like, yeah, what's going on, man? And he's just like, oh, I'm just so happy to see you guys. And it was this big hug. And, you know, at the end of the show, they used to kind of have this, always have a little line and freeze it. Yeah. And it just seemed, and it's, it, you just felt like they were these three, the three of them against the world, and although Captain Greer. And they were very young. Well, the thing I liked about that show in rewatching it, in retrospect, they tackled a lot of issues that were not being talked about on TV. You think, there was even I one about myself, abortion. You know, this was a, yeah, there was one about abortion. This is the late 60s. You know, it's 50 years ago almost. And it was a very, and, it was a very compassionate show. There were a lot that tackled mental health issues. Yeah, yeah. Issues with immigrants It wasn't and judgy. People with, there was um, one, one where Captain Greer, some friend or former boss of his or someone's daughter was a drug addict. And there are a lot of ones with drug addiction and stuff and they were never judgy about addicts. They were always compassionate and link always was my favorite and he was smart and you know how they showed he was smart he was always playing chess oh yeah that's he how you show somebody thoughtful. smart and he TV. wrote poetry or and something and he listened or he read to poetry he listened to like jazz yeah. he was very cool and he was but always very him. cool he had the sunglasses on he played prince's father in Purple Rain. Oh, yeah. And we were all so excited. Oh, it's yeah, Link. It's Link. The yeah. other thing I really like about it, and this is a little hokey, is the 60s lingo, the groovy 60s lingo. Like, hey, man, that's your bag. I know. You know. Or, hey, don't get so uptight, man. I know. And I can watch it. That's I can watch it over I think a lot over. of those shows from my childhood I can watch. Like, today I was watching That Girl on uh, I love that on girl. Amazon. Yeah. I love Room 222. And that's another show, even though it's not a police show right. and i think that may have been inspired in some ways i could be wrong about this by to serve oh yeah love. similar you know oh because pete dixon i was what? in love with the him. actor who played pete dixon was i don't know i used I to know remember. his name he died he's dead now yeah he was a handsome anyways man. can i tell you i was trying to think of shows and i'm gonna read you the list these are all the shows that i was like oh i forgot i used to and there were a lot of cop shows when we were growing up right. and i didn't Tons watch all of them. them like i never really watched chips although sometimes i, I did that i was but emergency which isn't really a cop show. We love emergency that one. chips. I was a little old for emergency. I love Randolph Mantooth. Yes. Okay. So let me just read you this you read list them of and shows I'll that I liked. Okay. The Streets of San Francisco. Loved it. Michael Douglas. Dragnet. Cagney loved and it. Lacey. Oh, love them. A Homicide Life on the Street, which wasn't when I was a kid, but I. And I just want to say, and you would probably say this too, Homicide Life on the Street, and I was an adult that by was, then uh, was the precursor it. to the wire yes and, and it hasn't really stood the test of time i haven't on tv and you know who it, i love who was in the wire who was in that meldrick uh clark oh, johnson clark johnson and he played him. the city editor in the fifth yes. season of I've the wire i always loved him and i loved andre brower that was yes in. okay and what was the name of the guy that played um giardelli 
And they killed him off. That pissed me off so bad. Anyway. I can't remember. Adam 12. We used to watch it every yes, I had day. a crush Catholic. on Marty Milner. Marty Milner. I had, when I was like 9, 10, I had some weird crushes. Yeah. And Marty Milner, I had a huge crush on. Well, the... Uh, He's okay. not really my type as an adult. I know. The FBI... I used yes, to like I that. Yes, I like that. Hawaii Five O, and I, I love Jack Lord. Hawaii Five O. Yes. Uh, Beretta. Yes, and I liked really liked Robert Blake uh, a lot. And I could probably Rice sing. Killa. You wouldn't Maybe want we'll to talk about him, him sometime. You wouldn't want me to sing the theme song to Beretta. That's the name of that tune. But I know it. Said. Don't do the time if you can't. Yes. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. And remember he had that cockatoo. Yes. Yes. Starsky and Hutch. Oh, oh, I oh love my God. Soul, even though no, I, think I liked Paul Peter. Michael Glazier. Kojak. Yes. I didn't watch all the time, but a lot. Hey, baby. Columbo and, and McLeod. Yes. yes. Those three, they had them alternated. And, and Columbo, the, McLeod, and, and McMillan and White, yeah. which I didn't like because yeah. they were too cutesy. Yeah. But I loved Columbo. Yes. I loved Manic, the rookies. And my crush, he was Michael so Cole, yes. if you're out there listening, who played Pete on the Mod Squad, I still love you. I I love you. I know you're old, almost as old as my dad now, but I still love you. But Michael Aunt Keen, oh, so who played Willie Gillis yes. on the rookies, and I have a little bit of a Michael Aunt Keen story to tell. It's gonna, it's very All short. Right. Now, Michael Aunt Keen had been a star hockey player at the University of New Hampshire. I can He's see Canadian, him but he had he been looks a, like a hockey player. When I was working at the New Hampshire Union Leader, and I was the sports editor for a time. And Ian Clark, who's, a, by the way, if you ever see his stand-up act, he's a stand-up comedian. Ooh. Go check him out. But he, at the time, was a sports writer and was doing a story on the UNH Hockey Hall of Fame or maybe UNH Sports Hall of Fame. I can't remember. A lot of my uh, sports editor years are a big blur to a me. Drug, a drug. Damaged me for life. <laughs> damaged me for life. drug killed and alcohol-fueled blur. Yeah. <laughs> it killed sports for me. But one day I'm at my desk, dum da dum da dum, and the phone rings, and so I answer it because that's what you used to do back before the days of caller ID. Yes. I pick up the phone. The person asked, very pleasant voice man asked for Ian Clark, and I said he's not here. Can I take a message? And he said, Can you tell him Michael <laughs> called? And you're like, Michael. No, I oh. said. Can you spell it? <laughs> no, I said something like, does he have your number? Or I wanted to say something like, I love you. I love you. I love you. But I was like frozen. I was paralyzed yes. with shock. The Mike Lonking. <laughs> so I took the message. He said, I, he has my number because I'm returning his call. And that was the end of that phone call. So, Michael, if you're out there, call me back. <laughs> Although, I don't want Michael Hakeen and Michael Cole to get into this oh, thing. Oh, they might they fight, might over, fight me. over you. I'm 55, and I, I'm not. I'll I don't take like the way whoever, I, you know, loses. But I would say Michael Hakeen is like a crush I had at oh, 10. Oh, he was so cute. Who still holds up. And he was so, like, sweet and vulnerable yes. on the rookies. I know. He if was. it were now, if I were watching it, I'd want to slap him around. But at the time, you know, when you're 10, it's like oh, you just want to. my help. So you gave me a few years ago DVDs of like the first season of Police Story and Hill Street Blues. When we first watched them, you know, that they was They were a kind of cutting time. edge then. And they were. But now, especially as a very ardent feminist, 
mm. they drive me up the wall. Mm. There was a police story all about this police woman was starting, and she had to wear this stupid uniform, of course with a skirt. And mm. I noticed on Hill Street Blues, like Betty Betty Thomas is the actress. Right. Well, I can't remember. I can't her. remember the name of her. But character. she wore a skirt half the time, and it's like, how oh. the frig are you supposed to be a police officer and the, wearing a skirt and nylons? The thing is, is storytelling on TV has changed a lot mm-hmm. over the decades. And when we were watching those shows, they were cutting edge. And I think we were feminists yeah. back then. But oh, I've always but been a, a feminist. feminist a I'm... feminist in the 70s is a lot different. We've come a long way, baby. baby. Although not as far as we well, need. Uh, you know. But that said, the things like, go back to the Mod Squad about Julie always being abducted and in danger and having to be rescued by the guys. When I was a child, that was frustrating to me. Yes. And I'm like, can't, oh, God, stupid well, Julie. When they had well, I was a little fight, jealous. She would just, like, stand, stand back. And go, oh. But I noticed in the fifth season, it was, like, maybe the last show, when I was watching it on this pirated DVD yes. thing, there was something going, their usual fight chase thing, and she got in the car, their car, it was a Pontiac, then it wasn't the old Woody yes, station wagon. they got rid of that, that one. And it, it went over a cliff. Oh, that's right. Very sad. Uh-huh. But she was actually doing some cool shit in that car. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, finally, on the last season of the series, on the last show of the series, Julie gets to do something. Yeah, I know. And I'm how sure cool it was frustrating for her. It was probably, and it was maybe frustrating for the fellows, too. Yeah. You know, why is it, why can't Julie help out? And there was, <laughs> and there was a stretch where she just wasn't around. And yes. I read a few years ago Peggy Lipton's autobiography and she was having some weird affairs she had a really weird one with sammy davis jr who was on the show a couple no times. it wasn't an affair oh it she had a weird liaison well, yeah he and wanted another one with she didn't but she also was going out or married quincy jones yes and they had rashida jones who is the wonderful actress who yes. was on the office and but she had some weird shit going on in her life and wasn't always available in the last couple seasons to be on the show. And I have to tell you, like, even in rewatching it now in my later years, Aww. I love Julie. I know I do. But, oh, good. Now Pete and Link can just be, you know, go out there and do their thing without having her be all in the way. Yeah, and and she, it wasn't her fault. She and she loved those guys. and They loved they her. Nice. Yes. But it was a friendship love that in yes. some ways is deeper than romantic. On the DVDs, you know, they have interviews with them. And she mentioned or might have been in her book but i remember this show that link kisses her on the cheek or something apparently they got tons and tons and i think there was a lot of talk about it before they had him do that what do you mean in the show should we even do oh oh i see you know should we allow this a black man to kiss a white woman and they got hate mail good though but they, oh, that's what has to happen for things to change. I mean, I think it's hard for some people to imagine, and I'm not. We're certainly not where we need to be with how women well, are treated, yeah. or obviously with but it race has relations. Changed a lot. I think it's hard for people who are younger to maybe imagine how divided things were back then. And you and watch that show now, and you you think, oh, how quaint or how cute. Oh, it's so funny. They're hippie-ish. Yes, but if, at the time, it was. was that's it how was fairly accurate, and it was fairly not um, accurate, but that's how people were, and and it was actually not cutting. I don't want to keep saying cutting edge, but it it broke some barriers. Yes, it did the fact that Link, when you watch it, he's nobody star, comes yeah. out and says it, but he's the leader of yes. that group. Julie's the girl, so she can't be the leader. Also, she was the youngest. She was she was in her late teens. Yeah, and Pete is just a little too emotional and needs to be reeled yes. in 
and he's always flying off the handle. Yeah, getting upset, getting emotionally involved in things, and he had a lot of anger issues. Yes, he did because he was a he was angry, a rich, angry boy. rich boy. And one thing that always disappointed me is it started out where he was estranged from his parents and he had big issues. And Link, he wasn't a side character. No, he, he wasn't, wasn't a side kick. He was the not the moral core of the group. They were all pretty moral, but, but he, he was, was the, he was the intellectual core and leader of the group. Yes, he was the one that the other two looked to. The other two were kind of lost souls. And they look, too, for help and mm-hmm. guidance. And Captain Greer was kind of their father figure. But there was a couple times Link had to... There was one time he had to punch Captain Greer. <laughs> and it was up to Link to deal with Captain Greer. Yeah. And then there were other things. Like, there was one where they got into this plane crash with some other people. Yes, and it was I remember those, that one. And Link had to, like, operate on this guy or yes, whatever. That's right, that's right. And, you know, they could have chosen Pete to do that. Yes. They could have chosen... But Link did it because he was the cool Link, cat. Any, yes, any time that something heavy lifting had to be done, it was Link, not Pete. Pete was always just... Yeah, you know. yeah, well, come on. But Pete was very, he had a lot of heart. It was very caring and <laughs> he compassionate. He was very caring, but he was very passionate. He was very passionate. Yes. And that was, I would say, the Mod Squad is my number one all-time. And I'm not talking about The Wire and all this kind of stuff, but I'm talking about my, the well, emotional yeah. part of my cop shows yes. is The Mod Squad. I, and that a... movie, for those people listening who think when we talk about Mod Squad, we're talking about the 1999 oh, movie, Claire movie. Dames, Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, Jesus, I never saw it that. It sucked, it's uh, a piece of shit, and it's not our Mod Squad. It's, no. It was a show in a certain time and place yes. that was, was of the time and place. It was of the time and place, yes, Definitely. And so it's getting it's getting late. Yes. It's past, we have to work tomorrow. Yeah, we do have to work tomorrow. Oh, that clock. It's hard to work. believe, even though we're doing this, that we still have to work. For a I minute. know. But you can check us out more on crimeandstuffonline.com. Yes. You can donate if you want to help us get some better equipment. Yeah. But we can yeah. maybe get a second microphone. And you can follow us on Twitter at Crime and Stuff. You can Facebook. like us on Facebook iTunes. Our Re- webs rate our, us. Yeah, please rate us on iTunes and review us. Yes. We you won't hurt our feelings if ever, you don't say anything. You can say anything, anything bad. I don't care. And you can also on our website subscribe and you can check out our previous episodes. This is episode number eight. Wow. Who, who would have thunk it? Zoom and in. just think, like in the beginning of November, we ha- we didn't have a podcast. And now it's the now middle it's of January. Like the number one podcast in the country. It is. It's the number one podcast <laughs> in the country made by two sisters who live in South Portland, Maine, <laughs> where one's a mystery writer and one's not. Yes. And if you want to check out my mystery novels, you can go to MaureenMilliken.com. You can find them on Amazon, some bookstores, my publisher's website, SNH Publishing. Yes. They're there. They're out there. And she's there. coming out with a new one, so. I am writing a third. It's a series, and I am writing the third one. When I'm not podcasting or yeah, working or... she's got to work on it. Doing other stuff. Well, until next time. Until next time. What? <laughs> I don't know. We don't, have, we don't have a catchphrase. So you got, yeah, we don't have a catchphrase. But we can do a kind of a, a Mod Squad type one. Hey, man, just... just hey, go. don't be uptight. Don't be uptight, man. Solid. Solid. That name always reminds me. There used to be a girl on Zoom named Maura. Do a Zoom do. Do a Zoom. I've known lots of Mauras. Anyway, go on. I know it's not the same one. No, it's not. Maybe it's her. It's not, though, because she'd be older than us. She, Maura Murray? No, Maura from Zoom. Zoom.